First of all, I wanted to kind of apologize for yesterday. Um, Brother Eugene Pruitt, he's not back yet. He was talking about, if you remember, E.A. Sutherland. When he was 30 years old, he was asked to be the president, principal president of the institution. And because of his, um, you know, age, how young he was, and I would, I would venture to guess inexperience, he was nervous and a little bit overwhelmed. And um, that's what was happening to me yesterday. As many of you know, Bob Jorgensen was supposed to be here. I wanted to share this yesterday, but one of the things is I was, I was a little bit um, feeling a little bit anxiety. And um, I've never had that before. It was, it was kind of unique and odd. I think I was feeling the weight and burden of trying to fill such large shoes. And uh, Bob was a remarkable man. And um, so with that and then the newness of his passing and then just an overwhelming feeling of what in the world am I going to share? What am I going to say? Um, and then I was trying to think, okay, I need to figure out what Bob was going to share. And, and, and some, in one part of my mind, I wanted to kind of fill that. But the reality was I knew I couldn't. And uh, so I really... That's all of this was going through my mind. And, um, of course, you guys came here to learn something, and then the weight of this was put on me, and I was kept praying, Lord, who am I? What can I offer them? And uh, so it was, you know, this, this, this great burden. So with that, with the anxiety, I, I just, last night, I was burdened, and I, was, I, I went home. Uh, after I left here, I had a massive headache, and it wasn't anything you did. It was just, I think it was just, <laughs> be at peace, be at ease. I think it was just the overwhelming of everything. Because, you know, I want to speak about Bob a little bit. He really was a great guy. I wish all of you got to know him. And um, many have asked me what happened. You know, what exactly happened to Bob. And there was a letter that went out. I wanted to share a little bit about this. I won't, you know, read the whole thing. But um, just for the record, um, sorry, I, I tried to find this ahead of time, and wouldn't you know I couldn't find it. And I'll kind of read this just to kind of give you an idea of, of Bob Jorgensen. Um, and I heard a voice in heaven saying, Blessed, saying, sorry, write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, henceforth. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And uh, if you go on Facebook, I don't know, some of you may have received the email a, a little bit about Bob and, you know, what he did, and that was very appropriate, and Bob's deeds do follow him. You wouldn't imagine, you, can, you can't imagine the magnitude. No one heard of this man yet. And when I say no one, if you were to go down the hall of, you know, the... Um, I guess, you know, the dignitaries, lack of a better word at the time, of the church, probably many of them would have never heard of him. But Bob was known by many, many common men, many common women, and he changed a lot of people's lives, and, you know, I was one of them. But um, on June 14th is when Bob fell asleep. It was Sunday, June 14th. Over the past months and years, really, Bob spent many nights and late hours preparing for his next speaking engagement 
that was on his docket, returning many phone calls, sending out products, and working on soil analyses for many people around the world, not just here in the United States, who asked him for help. These late hours allotted him more time away from phones and meeting because Bob's phones were just constantly ringing um, with people, again, all over the world asking for help here and there. And it was in these late hours that he could get many things done. He could prepare. He could follow up with phone calls. And uh, anybody who knew Bob knew that he had a difficult time saying no because he had such a passion, such a burden. He wanted to help everybody. He knew the importance of this message. And he would always say that this message, true education, this passion in his heart was to prepare the last generation for God's return because without it you would not be able to see the kingdom and um, very similar to James White many of you know the 1800s pioneer in the Adventist church James White um, he burned himself out he, he kept doing he, he, was, he was constantly going didn't, want, didn't, didn't stop in addition, in addition to running Medical Missionary Press, which was his, you know, his um, nonprofit company, Bob served as a board member and was instrumental in trying to revive the agriculture program at Heartland uh, Institute in Virginia. Bob maintained a garden at home where he provided food for himself, his wife, his 87-year-old mother, as well as neighbors, and then he sold to market. Bob also, um, this past spring, he spent just a few days at home because he was traveling extensively, even to England. Last year, he was in California. He's been to Puerto Rico, Bahamas, you name it. Bob has traveled quite a bit. And the few weeks that he was home, he was home for about a two-week period. He found time where he hosted two families to come to his house. And there, he was training them how to do true education in agriculture. Shortly after that, um, I spoke with him quite a bit. He was down to Atlanta, and then he was back home. He'd be home for a day or two, and then he was off in Virginia. And he was doing an um, agricultural conference there, giving yet more of himself. And he spent about 12 hours out in the field that day. The, the, the conference finished. There were not Adventists who went to it. And I was speaking with his wife, Vicki, and she was saying that morning, Sunday morning, Bob called her. And he was just praising God for all the non-Adventists who attended. And the fact, some of them went during the week, and they were so impressed. They went back on Sabbath and listened to two sermons from Bob because they felt this conviction and the importance of this message. They wrapped everything up, and then on Sunday, Bob went out in the field, and he was helping them at Heartland. Bob didn't just speak. He was a doer. And he spent 12 hours out there. Sadly, he didn't hydrate himself enough. So because of just exhaustion of constantly going, constantly going, um, and uh, a heat stroke is really uh, what... The heat stroke is the official term that the hospital is using, cause of death. But we know that he was also exhausted. He was tired. He was only 59 years old. Uh, I used to think at one point in my life that was old. And those of you know, I, you know, at one point I thought Bob was older, but once I got to know what his schedule was like, I realized it was because he was going nonstop. And so we really, the world doesn't know what a treasure they've lost. But having said that, he leaves behind a legacy. And the legacy is not his name, it's you guys. Because you need to pick up the work. He was one man. God did not design it for Bob Jorgensen to sit and spread this message. 
It's because of a people who are lazy. I'm pointing fingers at myself. It's because of a people, I apologize. It's because we do nothing. This man wore himself out. You can get many of his information. Um, sorry, I'll try to regain, my, regain myself here. Um, if I talk, I think it'll come back. Um, if you go to his website, mmmpress.info, mmpress, that's P-R-E-S-S, dot info, you will find a lot of his information there. And Bob has years, 30 years, he dedicated to this. And I'm telling you, it's a treasure trove. You will find rich stuff there. You'll find it on agriculture. You'll find it on true education. Not this false education that many are classifying as, you know, the future of our youth. You will find treasures there that this man sacrificed his life um, to provide. So I encourage you, his wife, Vicki, is going to, as much as she's able, is going to try to um, carry on his mission. So um, there's a couple books I know I've been quoting from one and using one. It's called Agriculture, the A, B, and C of Education by Jerry Travers. Bob actually publishes this. The a, um, I'll, I'll name it again, Agriculture, the A, B, and C of Education by Jerry Travers. mmpress.info, you can get a copy of this um, good book. There's many, many, many books. This is just two that I've been using just um, over the past few days. I know Jerry, and he was, glad, he was kind enough to send me these books to help me um, because he knew what an enorm enormous shoe I had to fill. There's another one called Agriculture God's Way, an education in the art of service. Every parent, these two books, I'm encouraging you. I started reading this one. It's amazing. And uh, you're going to find stuff in here that you, you, it'll just, you know, you'll be amazed. mmpress.info has all that information. I'm hoping and I'm encouraged. You know, when I found out that Rob Montag was doing, and I didn't finish saying this yesterday, that this education symposium was going on, I was really elated to see other people. I shared with you guys how I went to Bob's um, conference at years ago and it changed my life and I was spurred on to do something. I started the Agricultural Association, Adventist Agricultural Association. Our second conference is coming up in August in Texas. But then someone else to come along and do it. It's nice to see. My goal is not to be the only one doing this. My goal is to spur on every single one of you. Bob Jorgensen, my wife has told me this several times. I'm glad she could be here. She told me, she's told me this several times. He had to start somewhere. And although I'm standing up here and, you know, yesterday really terrified, at some point Bob was where I was at. And so now that I'm carrying this torch, it's not mine to carry. It's ours to carry. We are the ones to influence the world. We were talking about that this morning. And if we don't do it, who will do it? You know, this was the burden that Christ had. This was the burden he was trying to get through to his disciples. This is what he wanted them to realize, to wake up. If you don't do it, who will? And uh, I'm sure that Rob, what is that website again? Um, it's uh, www.patterneducation.org. Patterneducation.org. I hope and I would encourage you down the road start adding as many resources as you can to empower people and to you know I really want to encourage you to continue doing this 
and uh, so that we can all really just grow. Now, how many of you here this morning got here in a um, Honda Accord? Or not Honda Accord, Honda Odyssey. How many of you got here this morning in a Honda Odyssey? What? All of you guys didn't drive a Honda Odyssey? I drove in a, I got here, that's how I got here. So every single one of you didn't get here in an Odyssey. Okay. What did you get here in? Give me some names. Subaru? Truck. truck, what kind of truck? Nissan. Nissan. Ford. Ford. Truck. Toyota. Toyota. <laughs> truck? Car? Car? Sequoia. Sequoia. Buick. Buick? What else? Station, station wagon. wagon. What kind of station wagon? Subaru. 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 <laughs> Duke? Buick. Buick? Okay. It's kind of interesting, right? All of us got here in different vehicles, right? But we're all here. And I, as I was listening to the presentations yesterday and, and, and thinking about this, we have different people up here presenting. And, you know, each of us, through genetics, through life experience, through family situations, through ethnic backgrounds, each speaker up here, we've arrived here through different means, through different vehicles. And um, some of us have clearer understandings in some areas, while in other areas we don't. And so we don't always see eye to eye, but we're, go we're all trying to reach the same journey. And, uh, you know, I think about Martin Luther. Martin Luther had so much truth, yet there was so much that he was wrong in. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I believe my personal opinion is that God does not give any one man everything that there is to know because what happens, especially men, I'm going to pick on men for a second. I, I'm a guy. I think like a guy. I can't think like a woman. So, guys, what, what, is the, um, what do we usually do when we learn a lot about something and we think we know everything there is to know about it? Help me out, guys. Women, you can speak. You know your husbands. What, help, help me out. Give us another hint. We get an ego, right? We think we're experts, and it's very easy. And you know the sad thing is? It's because of years and years and years of degradation of sin. It comes so natural that most of the time we don't even think about it. So I believe with all of my heart, God in his loving, merciful ways does not give any one man all truth. His purpose, God is a God of community. His purpose is to continually invite us to commune together and to spiritually lift each other up. When we fail to do that is where we go wrong. I found a quote this morning that I wanted to share and I thought it was really some wise counsel. Differences of opinion will always exist. Of every mind is not constituted to run in the same channel. And I just want to say, God is really wonderful. Because as I was thinking about this this morning when I wanted to share it, I, wasn't even, I didn't even know that there existed a quote, and I was looking through some stuff that I had looking for something else, and I ran across this one, and I thought, wow, that's perfect. Heredity and cultivated tendencies have to be guarded, lest they create controversies over minor manners. Christ workers must draw together in tender sympathy and love. Amen. Let not anyone think it a virtue to maintain 
his own notions, and suppose he is the only one whom the Lord has given discernment and tuition. Christian charity covers a multitude of things which one may regard as defects in another. There is need of much love and far less criticism. When the Holy Spirit is manifestly working in the hearts of ministers and helpers, they will reveal the tenderness and love of Christ. And maybe somebody knows, help me out. It says LT 183, 1899. It's also found in um, 2MCP 504. 2MCP. Mind, character, and personality. Mind, character, and personality. 504. 504. I wanted to say that as we look at the ways the church has gone wrong, which they've done that in many ways. And I think the problem many of them have gone off in wrong directions is because of failure to follow true education. Before we start bashing them, you know, that's not what the purpose, and I, I know, Rob, that's not the purpose of this symposium. This impo- symposium is to, my personal opinion, and I'm going to be bold and say it, is to awaken you to make a difference in your own lives. It's not to sit there and criticize someone else for their failure. Because we had a a thing this morning where we were working on it, trying to say, how can we change the people? How can we influence the church? How can we influence institutions? The only way that that can happen is if you yourself work on your own self and then through conviction of them watching you doing the right thing, they may criticize you, but because they're watching you do the right thing, they're going to be convicted. Did Christ do wrong? No. Yet, how much criticism did he receive? He did the truth. He did the right thing. He followed truth. And because of his example, those around him, through conviction... Turned that conviction around into criticism. Instead of realizing what was going on, they turned it around and they used it against him. That is our example. Your example, I want to submit, is not to go and write 50 letters to some individual telling them how wrong they are, where they failed. Your example is the example that the God of the universe, your creator, gave you. And that is live if you live it, that's a larger me- uh, megaphone than anything you can ever say in your life. Cool. As I started thinking, you know, what I was going to do, I, I realized I had a um, plan to follow. But because I'm not Bob, I realized that last night that I can't. I don't know what he was going to say. I don't have his material. So I'm going to have to, you know, do it as I'm able to, through my experience from him. And uh, so today, what I wanted to talk a little bit about is why we need true education, just a little bit. We may cover some similar stuff. Then tomorrow, I want to look a little bit at, you know, what that looks like. And then on Friday, I'd like to get into a little bit more agriculture. And then on Sabbath, stick to the evangelism in agriculture. Um, That's the one I feel comfortable in. Anything in the agriculture realm... Now, let's do a quick study here. The children of Israel, they came out of Egypt, right? And they came out of Egypt. What happened? 
they spent some time in the desert. Why? What was the matter? What caused them? Why did they have to wander so long? I'm sorry? One more time. Stiff neck. I like that. Stiff neck. Somebody else? Lack of faith. Somebody else? God needed time to train them. Train them. God needed time to train them. Rebellion. Rebellion. God's plan. God's plan. To test what's in their heart. To test what's in their heart. After generations, you're all right. There's no F's on this test. After generations of them being in Egypt, they had forgotten so many things. Like us, they'd not read them for themselves. Their parents didn't pass them on. And so many of them didn't have these truths. All of a sudden, they get to this mountain, and God decides to uh, drop two stones in their lap. Why in the world is God dropping these new things into their lap? Were they new? No. It was because they weren't taught. They, They either were not taught it, or they were unwilling to go and seek it out for themselves. The commandments were never a new thing. So all of a sudden, God had to say, hey, I'm reminding you of this. You're failing here. So God gives it to them. He says, study this, live by them, live by it. Did they study it and did they live by it? No. The God of the universe comes down with his own fingers. He writes in stone and he gives this to them. He said, these are just 10, just 10 principles I want you to live by. And they didn't live by it. So after that, what happened after that? I'll tell you. What happened was God had to, okay, through Moses, he had to give all these laws, all these rules, and everything. Now, did God give them all these rules and, you know, mosaic laws and everything to make their lives miserable? No. Their failure to follow ten simple principles. Their failure. God had to, it, 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 it's, like a, it's, it's like a child. I have to pick on my children for a second. You say, okay, don't do that. You as parents who have children, when you tell a child not to do something, what happens? They want to do it, don't they? And so you say, don't do it. And, you know, they'll look at it and they'll fidget. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know how they are. They paint on the, on the child and then they have to touch it. So they've just done what? What did they do? Disobeyed. So what comes next? The correction, punishment, chastisement. So God gave them ten stones. He said, here, live by this. Just like a child. For some reason, and we cannot, you know, for years, I I used to wonder, what's wrong with these guys? Can they not think? And I criticize them. But today we do the same thing. So, ten ten simple principles. They didn't, so God had to start chastising them. And then, uh, through Moses, he gave the Mosaic laws. Okay, Let me explain number one. Let me explain number two. Let me explain number three, number seven, number eight, number nine. Because they weren't studying it. As um, God gave us the Bible, and he gave it to us to study. Through it, he was hoping that a people would grow from it and be a shining light. And because of our failure, and Mrs. White is very clear on this, He had to do what with her? He had to send her. She had to, similar to the Jews, he gave ten simple principles. They didn't follow it, so then he had to give all this extra through Moses. Thousands of years later, we're still neglecting those ten simple principles as well as the Bible. But more than that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, God gave us much more. He gave us nature. And through nature... 
many of these things can be seen, many of these things can be uh, visible and can become real. And I want to talk more about that, but why is education important, true education specifically? In the book Education, page 271, I read this yesterday, but I want to read it again, and this really is my theme. With such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained, did you hear that? Rightly. Might furnish how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. How soon might the end come, the end of suffering and sorrow and sin. How soon in place of a possession here, with its blight of sin and pain, our children might receive the inheritance where the righteous shall inherit the land. Do you guys want your children to receive this inheritance? And dwell therein forever, forever, where the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. That should echo in your ears, moms. How many, uh, how many times have you heard your child say, I'm sick, I'm not feeling good, my tummy hurts, my leg hurts, my you insert whatever hurts, where I am not sick, and the voice of the weeping shall be no more heard. That's from Education 271. Education page 276. Never, and I read this yesterday, will education accomplish all that might and should accomplish until the importance of the parents' work. Education is not just about children. Never will education accomplish all that it might and should accomplish until the importance of the parents' work is fully recognized and receive a training for its sacred responsibility. I can tell you that responsibility weighs heavy on my wife and I. We don't have the answers. We're on a journey just like you. Uh, different people are at different stages in their journey. And, you know, we started this journey three years ago, and we've transitioned, and we can see, we can see some benefits from it, and there are areas that we're like, Lord, how in the world do we do this? And then there are, the, there are other areas that we don't even know exist yet to start doing. True. But we've started. We're making that journey. Lord. Yeah. Education, page 276. Fathers, you're not excused. Not many of, you are, uh, of us are in here, but we're not excused. Upon fathers, as well as mothers, rests a responsibility for the child's earlier as well as its later training. And for both parents, the demand for careful and thorough preparation is most urgent. Before taking upon themselves the possibility of fatherhood and motherhood, men and women should become acquainted with the laws of physical development, with psychology, I'm, I'm sorry, with physiology and hygiene, with the bearing of prenatal influences, with the laws of heredity, sanitation, dress, exercise, and the treatment of disease. Interesting. There's your homework, parents. Right there is outlined what you need to know. They should also understand the laws of mental development as well as moral. Now, I started telling this story yesterday and I forgot to. Remember, I, I said I was going to tell the black magic story and I forgot about it. My children have heard it before. Um, Okay, a friend of mine, his name is Whitmar McConnell, and um, he, somewhere in the Midwest, I, I started telling you guys this, they had a massive drought. And so Whitmar had helped this one farmer um, fertilize and mineralize his soil. 
they did all the necessary tests and amendments and everything and went out in the field and did what was needed. Okay, I told you that ahead of time. But anyways, uh, one day the farmer noticed that around he was growing corn, field corn, and he noticed that there was a puddle of water around every stalk of corn. And, um, hmm, what does that mean? Why is there water around each stalk of corn? So all the other farmers in the area, there was a massive drought. They were doing everything they could to water. They were, they were out there just pumping water in the field as, as much as possible. And all the corn in the area was brown. This guy had eight-foot-tall stalks, and they were all green. And so the neighbors in the area started talking. This guy is practicing black magic. Something's going on. And um, so somebody was curious, and they tried to figure out, what, what, what's going on with this corn? Every morning, there was a puddle of water around every stalk of corn. Corn's eight feet tall, green. All the other fields are much shorter and brown. So the farmer decides to go and um, allow somebody, because somebody was curious, they want to know what's going on in this field. So he gives permission. Somebody got out there with a, uh, a mini backhoe, and they start digging. Now, how many of you know how deep the roots of corn grow? Not four feet. Corn, corn those are, that's, that's a good field. Traditionally, how deep do you think? Take a guess, anybody. Take a guess. Three inches? Three to six inches, really. Good guess. Generally speaking, corn roots are only, generally they're three to four, up to six inches, if they're really, really healthy um, in an unbalanced, you know. Well, they got out there and with the backhoe. Actually, they got out there with a shovel, and they started digging, and they didn't find the end of the root after three, four inches. So pretty soon they pulled out the backhoe and they're going down and they're going down. The corn roots had gone down eight feet deep. And because the corn, what did we talk about yesterday? What's in your soil? Remember the microbes? Microbes. The microbes are there to do what? To serve the plant. The plant in serving the microbes was looking for a water source. You have to have water in the first three to four inches of your soil to maintain a good microbial activity level in your soil. If you don't have water in your soil, the microbes will die. And those guys, um, you know, many people call them the unseen angels because they're there serving. You can't see them. They're there, but they're the unseen angels that are serving these plants. So these, these microbes are there, if they don't have water, they're going to die. This corn burrows its roots eight feet until it finds a water source. What they discovered is that eight feet into the ground was a water source, and every night they were pulling that water up to the surface and settling it there right around that though each corn stalk so that the microbes could have the water and survive. Now tell me, how could that happen? Is that by accident? Anybody who says that this world began by accident, just looking at something like that, you know that they're blatantly lying. 
God deposits evidence all around us so that we can see. God is constantly, constantly trying to redeem us. He wants to restore us. He wants to bring that relationship back. This is the same thing he wanted with the children of Israel. In their rebellion, in their open rejection of him, he reminds them, this is where you're supposed to be with the Ten Commandments. They don't listen. What does God do? Does he get frustrated? Does he get mad? He has to punish them because sin cannot go unpunished. But he doesn't reject them. So then he goes to the Mosaic Laws and he gives them. Our modern equivalent of that is because of our failure, God sends Mrs. White. And in that is where we find a lot of information that she gives us. Now, we can't stay there, and I agree with what um, uh, was shared yesterday. We must go back to that ultimate source. What is the ultimate source? The Word of God. Psalms 139, verses 14 through 16. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Acts of the Apostles 476-477 tells us the Christian is not therefore to fold his hands, content with that which has been accomplished for him. He who has determined to enter the spiritual kingdom will find that all powers and passions of the unregenerative nature backed by the forces of the kingdom of darkness are arrayed against him. So you guys start off immediately with everything against you. Each day he must renew his consecration. Each day do battle with evil. Old habits, hereditary tendencies to do wrong will strive for the mastery. And against these he is to ever guard striving in Christ's strength for victory. Jerry Travers is... um, I mentioned him, he's the one that wrote the book. He talks about epigenetics, and it's too, too long to go into right now. But he talks about how we were, th- there were these things called junk genes. So, uh, have you guys ever heard them, junk genes? For years, scientists have wondered, what are these junk genes? They f- they're in your body. Has anybody heard of these? And the reason they were called junk genes is they didn't know what to do with them. Why are they there? But what they're discovering through epigenetics, which is a new science that really hasn't been around that long, but they're discovering new things, is these certain circumstances, certain environment can turn these junk genes on, so-called junk genes by the scientific community, but there's triggers, can turn them on or turn them off. And he said that God designed us on purpose. His theory is that God um, knew God knows the beginning from the end, right? He knew what the devil was going to do. And so if, if there's a certain environment, God allows you know, different things to be turned on in that environment. For example, cancer cells. You guys know about cancer cells, right? What causes cancer? Stress? What else? Obviously, there are sometimes unexplained things, but generally speaking, help me out. Diet, stress, diet, what else? 
toxins, genetic, what else? Okay, so these are the triggers. So these cells are there, and the science looks at them and says, hey, these are junk, giant, junk genes. They're not doing anything. Nothing's happening. They're just there. But all of a sudden, I'm staying up all night. I'm drinking beer. I'm drinking coffee, and I'm getting two hours of sleep every night, and then all of a sudden, I end up with cancer. What just happened? There were triggers that were turned on, and certain triggers were turned off, and because of that, all of a sudden, a person has cancer because of lifestyle. Again, that's really an oversimplification. There's much more to the process. I don't want someone to think that, you know, I'm, but epigenetics is revealing some new things in the science community that the secular scientists don't know what to do about. Because when you look at what epigenetics are, is doing, it's constantly revealing a creator. It's constantly. And so these guys are constantly trying to figure, up, figure out ways to uh, explain around a creator and try to figure out you know why this is happening and it's really amazing and if you ever have some time call Jerry Travers up or or research the topic but it's really neat I want to do something real quick just to take a break because I know you guys just ate and I know what it did to me so I want everybody to stand up for just for a second stand up let's get some oxygen going into that brain <coughs> I want you to turn around and wave at the person behind you. <laughs> Stretch. <laughs> turn to the person on the right of you and stretch and say hi. Person on the left. Get some brain, some blood flowing to those brains. Okay, go ahead and sit back down. <laughs> You're all. <laughs> I've been there, so I understand. <laughs> I have a lot of quotes uh, for you to read, so that's, you know, when I was trying to think of, of, of the, this morning, how can I let them know the importance of why true education uh, was needed? God really, I, I really, you know, I'm very cautious to say this. But I think sometimes he allows us to stumble onto things, and, and I'm really grateful because, as I shared with you, yesterday the overwhelming of, of what was supposed to take place, but I really want to accomplish what he wants me, you know, what you guys need, not what, what I want to pass on to you. I want you to understand, again, every one of you should be studying this for yourself. Every one of you should be taking your Bible and going to God and say, Lord, reveal to me. It's a journey that all of us, none of us are perfect. None of us have all the answers. And every single one of you has a calling. And I want to encourage you, you know, whatever that is within your community, within your sphere, you have an influence on someone. And it's your duty, really, to start sharing this. But how can you share it if you don't know it? Um, Christ Object Lessons 331. But Christ has given us no assurance that to attain perfection of character is an easy matter. A noble all-around character is not inherited. It does not come to us by accident. A noble character is earned by the individual effort through the merits of the grace of Christ. God gives the talents, the powers of the mind. We form the character. It is formed by hard. Did you hear this? Hard. 
It's not easy. It's formed by hard, stern battles with self. Now, the word stern for me, I'm from originally from the Caribbean, and I noticed some words there. There are certain words we'll use here in the U.S., the, um, they take on different meanings or sometimes I'll say things you know funny to my wife and she'll chuckle um, but you know I remember growing up and uh, I guess I was a my mom would say I was a determined child and um, my grandma I could say I can remember her now saying to me don't give me that stern look now how many of you I know people from the Caribbean might how many of you know what I mean by that I figured you would how many had no idea what I mean? Okay, so it's basically, you know, when you tell your child something and they just sit there, you know, they stare at you, it's an intense look. In America, we might say intense. In the islands, we say, you know, stern. And uh, so here, this word, is it, it, it brings up a different connotation in my mind. Stern, it means concentrated. It means intent. Intentionally. Now, I didn't look up the word to see what the exact definition is, but um, stern battles with self. It's intentional. You're focused on it, and you're paying attention. It's not accidentally. It's not haphazardly. You're intentionally. So it is formed by hard, stern battles with self. Conflict after conflict must be waged against hereditary tendencies. We shall have to criticize ourselves closely and allow not one unfavorable trait to remain uncorrected. I was reading something, and I can't remember where I read it. It could have been Bob, or it could have been, I, I would give it credit, I just don't remember where. Um, the writer was talking about children who, when they go out and they're um, learning to do something new, and they're around a bunch of pair of their peers and they make a mistake and the other children will sit there and they'll do they'll what most of the time they'll laugh at them and this child will be humiliated and they've they've done research that a lot of children are afraid to experiment and to do new things because in that environment they become timid they don't want to be embarrassed they want to don't want to be shamed and the author was talking about what better avenue than to have them learn and experiment in nature away from groups of their peer. If they make a mistake, if, if they do something incorrectly, will the plants laugh at them? Will the trees shame them? Will the equipment mock them and make fun of them? What better environment where they can go and make mistakes yet learn from it and not be ashamed to try and keep trying. And I really started to think about that. And I, you know, I went to academy, an Adventist academy, after, um, after I became an Adventist. And I remember just little things. I was considered conservative. Um, and I remember being mocked and ridiculed just because many people would want to do something and that I didn't. And I remember the, the jeers and the laughter and, and the picking on and the ridicule. Now, in a school of true education, will that happen? Because if the characters are formed and if the characters are molded to do what they're supposed to do, they will understand what's going on with the other individual. They will understand, they will relate, and they, and rather than hurting, molding, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, scolding, 
um, laughing, jeering, ridiculing, there will be a more accepting heart because they've all gone through this personal experience of learning. It's all about character development. We talked about Luke 2.40. Let me get, you, get your Bibles out, and I like that, and I thank Brother Eugene for bringing that up yesterday, and it reminded me of that text, and I definitely wanted to revisit that and solidify this in your minds. Luke chapter 2, verse 40. Okay, somebody who has a King James Version, would you read that? Luke 2, verse 40. Okay, someone else have a different translation. What? Um, read it. Tell me what translation you have and then read it. Sorry? New King James. Let's see how that differs. Go ahead and read it. Okay, now there's a song by Steve Green. Some of you younger guys out there. And Jesus grew in what? Help me out. That's verse 50. Oh, thank you. Okay, read verse 52. That's the verse I was looking for. Thank you. Um, now, wh- how did Jesus increase? In what? Wisdom. Wisdom. Okay, what else? Stature. Stature. What else? Favor. Okay, so what's wisdom? Intellectual. Okay. What is stature? Physical. And what is favor? Spiritual. Social. But also the spiritual, right? And we talked about this. I think there was a, um, I know I read a quote on that. So when a child is taught true education, what are the three areas that we're educating them equally? The mental, the physical, spiritual. If you look around you, how many institutions are doing that? Equal parts. We're not talking about six hours of education and then one hour of um, manual labor and 15 minutes of devotional. We're talking about equal parts. How many institutions do you see doing that? Can you name one? This is not to be critical, but it's more so to awaken thought and to awaken some discussion. You know, I shared this with a friend of mine. We have institutions that are set up to do the medical aspect, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's not critical. And their core focus is on the medical aspect of the Adventist church. And they're heavy with the medical. But where's the agricultural? Where's, or, or, or where's the, um, the physical? And where's the spiritual? And then we have institutions that are focused on evangelism. And they're heavily, heavily evangelism. Where's the agricultural? Where's the manual? The spiritual is there. How did Jesus grow? Was it just the spiritual? Was it just the medical? How did he grow? He was balanced. The physical and mental condition of the parents is perpetrated on the offspring. Actually, I want to skip down. There's a couple I'm running out of time here that I really wanted to get to. Parents may understand that they understand that as they follow God's direction in the training of their children, this is a promise, and remember this, because sometimes my wife and I feel overwhelmed. How do we do this? They will receive help from on high. 
So when you think you're drowning, just know you will receive help from on high. They receive much benefit for as they teach, they learn. So remember I said earlier, teaching your children is not just about them. As you, if you're not growing as a teacher, you know, we have these higher learning educational institutions and, and I'll pick on the secular now that this teacher is some ethereal person up here and that they know all and that the, you know the students are just plebeians myrmidons down below that they're there to listen to the professor but if a professor is not learning then something is wrong and you need to revisit that they receive much benefit for as they teach, they learn. Their children will achieve victories throughout the knowledge that they have acquired in keeping the way of the Lord. They are enabled to overcome natural and hereditary tendencies of, April, of evil. That's found in the um, Adventist Home, page 205. Adventist Home, 205. I really like this one. There is a science of Christianity. Okay, did you hear that? People think Christianity is just some weird thing, but there's actually a science to it. There is a science of Christianity to be mastered. A science as much deeper and broader and higher than any human science as the heavens are higher than the earth. Did you guys hear that? Let me read that one more time. There is a science of Christianity to be mastered, a science as much deeper, broader, higher than any human science as the heavens are higher than the earth. The mind is to be disciplined, educated, trained, for we are to do service for God in ways that are not in harmony with inborn inclinations. There are hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil that must be overcome. Our hearts must be educated to become steadfast in God. We are to form habits of thought that will enable us to resist temptation by a life of holy endeavor and firm adherence to the right the children of God are to seal their destiny. And that's found in, I believe it's Heavenly Places, HP 26. Is that HP 26? Angels are ever-present where they are most needed. They are with those who have the hardest battles to fight, with those who must battle against inclination and hereditary tendencies, whose homes surrounding are the most discouraging. That's in ML 303. ML 303. Education is to restore us back to a relationship with God. If your children are not learning about who God is, if they're not learning about the Creator, if they're not learning about where they came from or how to build a relationship with God, then you're not really educating your children. We as parents, all of our lives, you know, our, our focus is to, I heard somebody saying it this morning, you know, our focus is to help our children not just to be good people or to do good things, but we want them to emulate Christ. Jesus did more than do good things. He wasn't just a nice person. He was respectful, he was obedient to God, and he genuinely cared about people. He wanted, you know, before Jesus came, there, there was no real picture on earth outside of the sanctuary, which many had lost sight of, just as many of us have. And because many lost sight of the sanctuary, they had no idea they were doing this ritual day after day, month after month, year after year, that they had no idea what it meant. 
God came to restore the true image. Or Jesus came to restore the true image of God so that we could get a picture of God. God wants to live with us every throughout eternity from all the way back with the children of Israel. He wants to live with us. He wants our children to have a relationship with Him and to grow. And if we're not educating them to have that relationship with God, it's all in vain. We're only educating them for this life. Some dear friends of mine, um, quite affluent, I remember having a discussion many years ago. Their son was raised an Adventist, and after a while, you know, he was married, got a divorce, had his own children, and um, he started to collect some of the money that they had, quite quite a large sum of money. He decided that he wanted to live how he wanted to live. He gave up going to church. He hadn't been to church probably in, you know, 30-some years. He's quite... He's older than I am. And um, I remember when his uh, sons started dating, he told them that, you know, women are just like a tire. You, you know, you kick it um, to see if you like it. And if you don't, you can have multiple at the same time. An Adventist. Um, he told them not to just date one, but to date many. And everything contrary to how he was raised, he was teaching them. So I went and I was talking to them one time about him, and I remember them saying that they were going to do all they could to make his life happy and pleasant because they knew that this was the only life he was going to have. Now, after that conversation, I remember thinking about that. It took me, I I thought about that actually for months. And part of me wrestled with that because I'm like, huh, this is the only life, so they're trying to make his life as pleasant as possible. And um, so they, you know, they were giving him large sums of money, um, tax purposes. Every year they could give so much so that they didn't have the estate tax and everything. And we're talking large amounts of money. Um, and um, he was just living the life that he wanted to. So I thought, well, maybe they're being gracious. And, you know, I was young. I was young at the time. Um, I didn't even have children. I'm trying to remember. I didn't even have children at the time that I had this conversation. And I tried to grasp it, and I couldn't grasp it. I couldn't understand it. You know, I'm going to make my child as comfortable in this world, as comfortable as I can, because they're never going to see the next. Now that I'm a parent, I can grasp that conversation and I'll tell you this if I were in the place of you know these people I would strip every penny from that child because more than money more than anything more than anything making them comfortable in this life I want my children to be in the next life that to me is more important than anything you can ask my wife I've said this many times I share with you know people I could care less if my children end up poor, living on the street, as long as their heart is filled with God. Nothing else matters. Are you raising your children? And this is a serious question you need to ponder. Are you raising your children to live happy lives in this world because they're not going to the next? Or do you want to do everything within your power to make sure that their lives are miserable in this world 
so that they long for the next. I had so much more to share, but I'll end it there. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I pray that they didn't hear my voice, my voice or my words, but that I said something today that you wanted each person here to say or to hear. I pray that you stir their hearts and Lord, you make them uneasy so that in return they become contagious and want to spread this. Lord, I pray that you give us all the heart that you had the burden to save every soul around us, especially our own children. Lord, if we don't, who will? Teach us what we need to learn, Lord. Live, forgive us where we failed, and Lord, carry us, because we've made a lot of mistakes, we've messed a lot of things up, but Lord, you've promised, and we must rely on you. Carry us through this and help us to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.